0: we I'm a Beyonce stan. He's a Beyonce stan. We are Beyonce stans. It is Homecoming Wednesday, and you are watching a Beyonce stan account. <laughs> Who is not a Beyonce stan this morning? I don't, don't
1: want to meet sure him. i would hate to meet him. No, absolutely not. Are you not no. a Beyonce stan? Keep it moving, you then, must my be friend. Terrible. What a blessed morning we have. Homecoming is here. Kevin Allred tweeted: I will never get tired of seeing how Beyonce works behind the scenes. You ain't Said nothing but a word, Kevin. Behind the scenes, to the (laughs) side of the scenes, in front of the scenes. I want to see how Beyonce works from all angles on all the scenes.
0: It's so great. I mean, listen, uh, Beyonce's Coachella performance was one of the highlights Mm. of my gear last year. Mm -hmm. I think it was one of the best cultural performances like we got, period. And so to have it in a new form with the documentary, with the insight into Beyonce as a boss, Mm. Beyonce as a mother, Mm. she had a C-section, guys. that, That means they cut your muscles open. So imagine then her having to recover from that experience while putting together this performance. And she was like, ugh. I wasn't able to rehearse
1: 15 hours straight (laughs) like I used to. Like, what the caliber of her? Excellent. Thrilling. And also, just to have music, because here's the thing, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I haven't watched the doc yet, all right? It was 3 a.m. in the morning. I got a morning show. Beyonce would understand. Well, no, 15 hours of rehearsal, she sure wouldn't. (laughs) But I understand, (laughs) and I forgive myself. But the music, to wake up this morning, I didn't think that. I was like all excited about the documentary. I didn't realize we were going to be blessed. Mm -hmm. I put in my headphones, the big bandness yes. of it, the big brass instruments. I, I mean, I'm watching the performance, you know that's what it's gonna be like, but it's Thrilling. The and only, how they capture such good yeah,
0: audio? I think The sound quality is really good. The mm. only thing blacker than performing Lift Every Voice and Sing with an HBCU band is her covering Frankie Beverly. So <laughs> <laughs> And I mean, that's the new song at the end. Right? Yeah, that's yeah. the song at the end. I love it. Well, friend of mm. the show, George M. Johnson, had this to say. The captions during the documentary told me I've been singing wrong lyrics to most of these songs for decades. <laughs>
1: you know, it's
0: <laughs> I get it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I probably messed up a few lyrics too. We stand joy. We stand honesty. <laughs> wow. We're really your sure interpretation. In, yeah, your interpretation. As long as it's coming from a beautiful place. Yes. A tweet about homecoming from our favorite Bolu. She means so much to me. Her mind, her art, her vision, her creativity, her work ethic. Talent is one thing, but honing it and sharing it and using it to elevate others and to help others glow is another. Benevolent queen, I am so inspired. She makes me want to be the Beyoncé of what I put my mind to. The Beyoncé mm. of what I put my mind to. Such mm. beautiful phrasing.
0: Bolu Babalola joins us now from London because the time difference is real, okay? <laughs> and you were able to watch it before us. Good morning, Bolu.
2: <laughs> Good morning, guys. Hello, hello, hello. How are you feeling this morning? I'm, like, vibrating with energy, and I'm so galvanized, and I'm just so... I, so, I feel so thrilled in, like, the real true sense of the word. Just, like, thrills running through my body right now.
1: Same. So were there any highlights? Like, I know you're watching it. Are there any highlights within the thing? What, what is thrilling you this morning?
2: I think just the amount of effort that goes behind the scenes and seeing how she pulls talent from all sorts of kind of sources. And we have people, so many people represented from the diaspora. We have new mothers. It's just so beautiful to see like an array of... Ages is how she brings talent together and really encourages people to bring the best of what they can provide. I love it.
0: Um, listen, she's done a documentary before, Life is But a Dream, and I didn't find that it was very open. I think she was still at a point in her life where she was understandably very guarded. Is this documentary mm. different in
2: that way? I think so. I think this is, I mean, it's, she's still very guard. She's still very careful what she shows to us. But I think now it's more that she's showing who she is through her art. And if you, and if you watch the documentary, you see that we see, we hear her voice juxtaposed over her art, but we don't actually see her speaking. So for me, that signifies that she's showing who she is through her art. We don't need to see her. We don't need to read interviews. We see what she represents through what she portrays and what she gives to us.
1: Wow. The work is the representation. I gotta
2: ask, Absolutely. Was,
1: were you as excited and as shocked as I was this morning to also realize we were getting an album? Like, did you know you
2: were going to get to like, just walk down the street <laughs> listen to this? You know what? I, I, I kind of had an inkling, but I do want to like, I do want to overestimate. I knew she's so generous. I was like, let me just like not ask for too much, you know, like <laughs> this is a lot. Homecoming enough is enough. So let me not be greedy. So, you know, I was very, very happy to see that, to see that. Now I have something to work out to That's an excuse to go to the gym, you know? <laughs> An
0: excuse to go to the gym—that is one interpretation. I like that. I was like, <laughs> walk
1: down the street. BoLu's like, I'm in the gym. I'm like, okay, let's keep oh, it like, walking. Let's keep whoa, it walking. Chill out there. Chill out there. Um, uh, so, um, that's you
0: know, the only reason, though. That's the only reason <laughs> I'm going to the one. Also, I have a tweet here from Jin that just says BoLu is so beautiful, and I, of course, agree. Oh. Um, but you know, one thing I love is that you wrote your thesis on Beyoncé. I think on—did you yes. focus on Lemonade?
2: Yeah, it was on Lemonade, but I—I I used kind of her old albums to kind of draw the journey towards Lemonade because a lot of people thought that Lemonade was kind of just this new leaf where for me, I thought she was building towards Lemonade, um, throughout her career. This was just, Lemonade was just a time where she was ready to pull all her influences and every, and the woman she's become and show that to us. I
1: agree. And what, what about like, I mean, that's a big decision though it's to base your decision. thesis on a piece of art yeah. album. Like that. <laughs> what about her made you want to kind of focus on 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 her so so in such an important thing for your life.
2: Yeah, um uh, well as a black woman she means so much to me and I love the way she just pulled she's particularly a southern black woman and I love the southernness about that but also loved how it's so representative of the diaspora in general, and as a Nigerian woman, I saw so, and a Yoruba with Nigerian woman. I saw so many influences in that video, and it really just spoke to me, like just bringing all of us together across the world. Being specific, but also just being so accessible for so many of us, it was just a beautiful thing.
0: I absolutely agree. Okay, one more question. It's a hard one. Uh, could you describe your oh. favorite moment, either from the documentary or her performance at Coachella?
2: Okay, well, because I'm watching it very, very slowly, but for me, I think it's just the way she's, she, in her, I think it was Mijente during that performance, she shouts out Blue in Spanish. Mm. And for me, it's just a reminder that even in her, in, she's a global superstar. She's like the best artist we've ever seen, but she's still a mother and she's still a human. And I love seeing those human moments of her shouting at her her six-year-old in the audience and her six audience and Blue being so like excited in the audience. That was really special for me.
0: Oh, my gosh. I'm getting emotional. Oh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> Bolu, um, as always, having you on the timeline and on the show is an absolute
2: pleasure. it's you. a pleasure.
0: I love you guys. Love you, too. Thank mm. you. Bye.
1: Right. Bye. I, let's take our <laughs> devotion to the timeline. What do you want to be the Beyonce <gasps> of? How are you feeling inspired this morning? Let us know using the hashtag AM2D. I
0: love that idea.
1: Well, here's a tweet from BuzzFeed
0: News World Editor Miriam Elder. Beyoncé released Homecoming to give us a day
1: of good (laughs) before the Mueller report drops. Amen, amen, amen. But where are we with the Mueller report? Here's a tweet from the Daily Beast. Mueller's redacted report won't be ready for public consumption until Thursday. But that hasn't stopped profiteers from selling books on it for months. Which... I mean, you got Beyoncé out here doing the work, and then you got other people just trying to make that money. What is that? Doing the work, making that money. You're supposed to be the Beyoncé of yourself, and here you are.
0: Okay, well, anyway, Daily Beast <laughs> so reporter. Beyoncé is so disappointed in y'all. Well, Daily Beast reporter Kelly Weil, who wrote the story for The Daily Beast, joins us now. Good morning, Kelly. Good morning. All right, this, this piece is just so interesting and unexpected to me. Um, the Mueller Report, of course, is not out yet, um, and even when it is out, it will be free to read. So... How are people trying to profit off of it?
3: So there is a whole cottage industry of people who uh, sell public information in book form online. Sometimes it's kind of valid, right? Like when the torture report came out, if you're going to sit down, you're going to read that whole terrible thing, at least buy it in paperback. But some people are now repackaging this report that hasn't even come out and selling it on Amazon to people who are that desperate for it
1: that desperate for for that information. Do we know who's behind these kind of uh, publications that are putting them out? Is it it big name publishers? Is it just somebody sitting around in a basement? Like, who's putting this out?
3: So there are some legit publishers behind it. Melville House is one that does a lot of uh, repackaging reports and making them kind of legible. But the bestseller in this whole new category is uh, an indie press called Skyhorse. And what it's doing is it's going to sell the report with a forward from uh, Alan Dershowitz. He's a longtime Fox uh, contributor. And so there's a lot of people who are kind of in on the ground. There's uh, indie people doing like their own self-published versions of this, and it's all speculative because because again, we don't know what the report says. I don't
0: know what the report says. Who? This is a question we had just on our own this morning in our production meeting. Who's the target audience for this? Like, who? Again, because the report will be available; it will be free. So, who are these publishers kind of going after?
3: I mean, I think there are people on every part of the political spectrum that are really interested in what this report has to say. It's been so hyped for so long. So, we've heard stories about people on. Uh, an, On the left, who are you know just following every detail of the Mueller investigation, trying to figure out you know from who he's hiring, what they might be doing, and there's people on the right who are just waiting for um, a really thorough takedown of the report. So I think it's it's going to be the people who have been following this obsessively, whether they think it's going to vindicate Trump or whether they. Think it's gonna be the end to his presidency.
1: Mm. Okay, now you touched on this a little bit in, in your opening statement, basically, but like there is a history here, right? Like I do remember the Ken Starr report, like that got and published, so like right? Report. Yeah.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, again, it's it's sometimes a nice way to take this uh really Difficult to parse piece of government babble and, you know, make it something that you can access, right? But then it's also a question of who who's profiting from what should be a public document.
1: Right. That's a real question too. But then you also, you write, Amazon's book listings are an SEO cesspool where grifters try to peddle eBooks on every trending topic. So can you tell, like, I can actually see how somebody might want a physical copy of the Mueller report when it comes out so you can mark it up so you can read it. But can you talk about kind of these other, like a little more shadier situations?
3: Totally. Um, So since I think I found some as early as December of last year, people selling Mueller report related books that implied they'd read the Mueller report when of course they couldn't have. And some of these are obviously gags, right? There's someone who has a book called, uh, uh, every lie in the Mueller report and it's completely blank. Well, obviously he hasn't read it. There's a uh, Mueller report meme coloring books. There's people who are writing, uh, uh rebuttals to the Mueller report. and again, all of this is to get your book up um really early in the rankings for when people search Mueller report and Amazon. and it kind of works. you know, if you're one of the first hits there, somebody's gonna buy your ebook. even if it's you know a dollar fifty, you've just made a dollar fifty.
1: You've just made a dollar fifty and somebody has their meme coloring book. That is fascinating. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, Kelly, and thanks for your piece.
3: Thanks for having me.
0: So interesting. Well, friends, we've got another great show for you today. I will be sitting down with Rami Youssef from the new show, Rami on Hulu. It looks great. I'm excited for everyone to watch it. But up next, it's Fire Tweets.
1: And in between every break, we're just playing Beyonce. 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 We're just going to go. We're going to dance and let's play. (laughs) Fire! Fire! Welcome back. I just wanted to highlight this tweet from FMA. I work remote from home, and I thought someone was breaking into my apartment because at this time of day I'm the only one here. It's just my roommate who has taken the day off from work to watch Homecoming. Shout out to that! I've seen a lot. I've seen a lot of people tweeting like, "Hey, can I just can we just have a Beyonce day? Can we just have a Homecoming day?" I get it. Because it
0: was a little tough having to come out at 3 a.m. I just you know, listen, the one I I just. <laughs> This is how I think about it. Apparently, like, the primetime viewing when it all came out, like, 8 p.m., which I think is pretty ideal, would have been 8 p.m. in New Zealand. <laughs> and you know they've been through a lot. And I'm feeling for the people of New Zealand. And I feel like Beyonce is, too. And that's the only
1: reason I'm going to be okay with it coming out at 3 a.m. I think Saeed was, ready to, Saeed was ready to buy a ticket. <laughs> Joe, you tweeted, It's not infrequently that I think, Man, I wish I had an adult to handle this for me. And I realized that, unfortunately, I'm that adult. I'm that adult. I'm disappointed in my adultness every day. Can I tell you a story about Joel?
0: Joel. Joel used to work at BuzzFeed. He's a wonderful reporter. I think he's at ESPN now. Um, Joel, (laughs) I had to take Joel. He had recently moved to New York for his job, hadn't lived here before. I had to take Joel out during lunch one day and literally show him the different places in the Flatiron District. (laughs) to find lunch. <laughs> he had just like for at least 6 weeks just been surviving on snacks in the office because he was too intimidated. And I was like, there was a shop? There was a, you know, I was like, you, what you're
1: saying is that you were once I guess you I were was once the adult. Joel's adults. You were once Joel's. And, ad- I don't know that's what, what that tweet's about.
0: about. He just misses you alas, alas. Okay, this tweet comes from Kristen. Dude in this airport saw me reading and said, "Oh, you like literature? Have you heard of Charles Dickens? <laughs> and I said, no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm trying to think, is it a really bad dick joke? I, I kind of think it is. Or is it like that person really was like, hey, you know what? I've got some stuff for you. Here you go. Have you heard of Charles Dickens? Either way, it's really bad, right? It's just like,
0: I just, I don't know. Where where do we go from there? Except for saying, yeah, no, I haven't.
1: <laughs> like, just get away from me. i just like, do you like some... Emily Bronte Oh my god. All right. Okay. Well <laughs> you tweeted. If you think about it, Moses was the first kid to be placated by his father throwing a tablet at him. Okay. <laughs> Bible joke, baby. Right. Oh, you get it cuz the little uh-huh. kids they got their iPads, they like to do this and it was a tablet, it was the on the on the stone tablets. You get it. He loves it. Wow. He loves the Bible jokes. I just had a vision.
0: Isaac explains the Bible. Would you would you be into that because
1: <laughs> I would. For 150 on Amazon, wherever books are is.
0: sold. You've got a future friend. All right, this next tweet comes from Almost Famous. Black people don't tell you that you look
1: nice. They say, Where are you going? That's true. Hey, you get a lot of where are you going with that shirt. Thank you. You sure are. To hell. <laughs> That's what I always Everybody's always like, you look nice. I'm like, yeah, Court. All right. <laughs> you ready? You ready for tweet of the day? Yes. Green Lady comes from Julio. Those M&Ms and the commercials are always in the back of limos or at premieres. Are they producers or do they manage the glamorous green lady one? Did they go to high school with her? She's clearly their entry point into the champagne world. <laughs> and I just love champagne world.
0: I, you know, it's kind of funny now that I think about it. It's weird. Like, what was the idea in personifying things that we're going to eat? Eat.
1: Oh, it's great. It's kind of a weird... And they have a lot of fun with it. I'll just say this. The red one, the yellow one, they are schlubs. So you know that they were probably... Was sexy. I'm just the saying... The green one. Th- was fierce. The green one, I think, lifted them up. I think that's a safe assumption <laughs> that they are just some hangers-on. They are grabbing on those coattails. They are not letting go. I wonder what they're doing now. Anyway, coming up, I sit down <laughs> with
0: comedian Robbie said, Why is that funny? Like, no. We are going live from the district. How
1: are they still promoting the king. <laughs> what is
0: Welcome back. We are going live from the district with BuzzFeed News White House correspondent Tarini Party. Good morning, Tarini.
4: Good morning, guys.
0: Okay, now how is your Beyonce homecoming day going?
4: (laughs) It's going great. Uh, I haven't made it all the way through the album yet, but uh, I'm working my way through it and really having some fun.
1: Rightfully so. Everybody's filled with joy. (laughs) Well, here's a tweet from BuzzFeed (laughs) News. A BuzzFeed News analysis shows that donors are willing to give to multiple Democratic presidential candidates, suggesting that voters aren't worried about a drawn-out primary. Interesting. Tarina, you worked on this story
0: with Jeremy Sinkervine here at BuzzFeed. Uh, Why are Democratic donors donating to more than one candidate?
4: So we talked to some of these donors um, that we found through our analysis, and what we heard was that, you know, this is a very diverse field and that they're attracted to uh, different candidates for different reasons. And it's so early uh, in the in the election cycle that they feel like they want to hear more from these candidates and kind of support, um, you know, three or four, maybe even five of them at this stage to really just give them a chance to uh, build their campaigns, hear them out. The other reason we got a lot um, was that the, the Democratic National Committee now has a donor threshold for which candidates can qualify for the debates. And uh, so one thing I heard a lot was um, donors saying they want to hear from the candidates uh, on a debate stage. They want to see them on the stage with other candidates so that they can compare how they do and really make uh, an informed decision.
1: Informed decision. Not to use a gambling analogy over here, but I can see it. You go to the horse track and you don't want to just bet it all on one horse, especially early in the day. <laughs> okay. You want to see who's, who's out right. there, who might become your favorite. All right. Tarini, I want to ask, which uh, candidates uh, have the most crossover? Yeah, like, who, who's getting the most bets?
4: So what we found was that, uh, Kamala Harris actually has the most crossover with other campaigns. So it's her and one other candidate. Um, and the two top candidates who had, uh, you know, the most crossover with her, uh, were, uh, Pete Buttigieg and, uh, Cory Booker. So we saw a lot of overlap between sort of those three candidates, those three candidates. Uh, but we also saw some significant overlap between donors who gave to Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. And then also Pete Buttigieg and uh, Beto
0: O'Rourke. That's so interesting. Um, Were there any candidates who had the least amount of crossover, where Mm. people are just like most likely to only be interested in this one person?
4: So we noticed that donors who were giving to Bernie Sanders um, did not give to other candidates as much, which was interesting because, because Sanders has raised the most amount of money. He raised $18 million in the first quarter, and he has the most number of donors, so you would expect, uh, you know, if, if uh, Democratic donors uh, broadly are giving to multiple candidates, you would expect that because he has the most of them, you know, he might uh, see more overlap. But it seems that people who are supporting him are are more sure than uh, that they just want to support him and go all in on him than other candidates.
1: Huh? That feels. That feels crack. right, right? There's a there's a <laughs> truthfulness to that. Uh, let me ask: Are we talking big donate donations here, right. small donations, both? Like, where are these candidates getting their money from?
4: So the the donations that we looked at are uh, you know from donors who gave uh, between you know $200 and, um, two hundred dollars and twenty eight hundred. So uh, these are what we call uh, they're not small dollar donations because those are usually below two hundred dollars. Uh, but those types of donations don't really don't get disclosed. Campaigns aren't required to disclose the donors uh, for that uh, kind of grassroots fundraising. So we were only really able to look at people who gave more than $200, but less than $2,800.
0: I have a tweet here from Rachel Girlfield. She said, "We need to have debates on Democrats. I need to see how they deal with debates and their knowledge and their skills." Which goes to your point of listen. You know, people are maybe donating mm-hmm. to Pete Buttigieg to make sure he makes it to the debate. My question is, when do the debates start? Like, how close are we?
4: So they start this summer. So uh, the first one I think is at the end of June. So we have uh, you know a little bit of time, but but not much. <laughs> Li- so Before it starts getting very crazy.
1: Okay. A little bit of time, but not much. Before it starts getting, I feel I, like it already. Yeah. The, like blah, 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 but yeah. <laughs> Tarini, thank you so much for the support, <laughs> of course, and thank you for joining us this morning.
4: Thanks for having me. I
1: <laughs> was like, get crazy. Talk about the same. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, listen. Up next, I'm speaking with actor Griffin Newman about his role in the hit show that I absolutely I love. love the it's so good. The Tick. We love the Tick. Stay tuned. It's really great. On Amazon, it's good. <laughs> Welcome back. Here's a tweet from Joe Reed. Man, oh man, The Tick is such a smooth binge. feather tone, likable characters, half-hour episodes, a boat that's fallen in love with Griffin Newman, and rightly so. It's got it all. It's on Amazon. You should watch. Joining me now is The Tick's Griffin Newman. Good morning, sir. How, How are, you? are you?
5: Doing all right, waking up still. Uh, I, I appreciate Joe pointing out the, the boat that's in love with Griffin Newman because I do think that's a differentiating factor with... Our show. Mm. I have not watched every show on the air. Yes, but I have not found another one that features a boat that is in love with Griffin. With 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 your character. Can you speak a little bit more about that love? Where where does this love come from? Yeah. Uh, Well, uh, I mean, I feel like you're you're kind of subtweeting me there by implying (laughs) that it's not evident why a boat would be in love with me. Oh no, I'm not such a thing. Uh, No, there there is a a character in our show. Uh, Another thing that's unique about our show, uh, we have a character who's also a location. Uh, so one of our characters Overkill is kind of like a parody of like Punisher, Grim Dark, Self-Serious, Vigilantes. Uh, he lives in a uh, robot uh, submarine yep. named Danger Boat, who's sort of like our version of uh, a Kit from Night Rider. And the the robot has sentience, and its sentience is applied to uh, sexual attraction to me. So that's sort of the unrequited love story of the show, is the boat being like, I love you, and me being like, I don't know if I can date a boat. <laughs>
1: I like that there's still some question there, though.
5: There's like, maybe I'd give it a shot. I mean, we're still leaving it open. I might finally get there, you know? <laughs> you gotta be open to it, absolutely. It's not a gender thing. It's not a sexuality thing. It's like a, like, a, uh, an inter, it's not even interspecies. Yeah, it's just that you're an actual object. It, this, right.
1: I'm sorry, right. if anybody just heard you say any of that and isn't already watching the yeah. show, like, you're gonna love this show. Watch it.
5: And this isn't one of those things where it's like, oh, that sounds weird out of context, but if you watch it, it makes sense. In context, it's weird. No, that's It's not, a weird show. That's,
1: that's the joy that's the of cel- Show. And that yeah. is the joy of the comics, right? Did you grow yeah. up, the comics, uh, there's a show in the 90s. Did mm-hmm. you grow up watching those, reading I, those?
5: I got really into the Patrick Warburton show mm. in the 2000s. Because mm. this is the third TV show of the Tick. And there's a comic series as well. All of which have been uh, done by the same guy, Ben Edlund. Which is pretty unique. Because they didn't let uh, Stan Lee direct Spider-Man movies. They did not. They just gave him a check and then gave <laughs> and him one can- line. And a cameo. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, but I got into The Warburton Show, which was kind of a sitcom, and then when that ended uh, way too soon, mm-hmm. then I went back to the cartoons. I'd never really read the comics, despite being a big comics fan, until I started auditioning for the show. So by the time I was going through the rounds of auditioning, I was uh, a total completist. Mm-hmm.
1: And let me ask, what do
5: what, what you— uh...
1: You you know, you're watching all this other content. How does your show differ? Um,
5: The the thing I say, and I I think is one of the reasons why The Tick is unique uh, and why it's something that's been able to be revived this many times, Mm -hmm. is that um, the show's always been a sort of satire of whatever's going on in mainstream superhero Mm. pop culture at Mm. the time. Mm -hmm. So it's like Ben Edlin just takes a funhouse mirror every 10 years and holds (laughs) it up to whatever the thing is. (laughs) So in the 80s, when he did the comic, it was like Frank Miller, Daredevil, and Watchmen, that sort of self-serious stuff. And um, in the 90s, it was other superhero cartoon shows, of which there were a ton. Right, X-Men, I remember all of those, absolutely. Right. and yeah. he's always said that the, the 2001 series felt a little untethered, because it was like in between the first Spider-Man and the first X-Men. Uh-huh. And there weren't really, there wasn't a full language for live-action superhero stuff. Right. So now it was like, well, now it's been, it's too much, there's a surplus. There's all this content that you can be reflecting in that Right, the Netflix mirror. shows and the CW shows and both cinematic universes <laughs> and everything in between. There's just an abundance of things to. You're like, there's fun. so
1: much stuff to make yeah. fun of. Right. Um, I do want to read a quick tweet here because you literally asked. You asked quote, verified famous, mm-hmm. you're asking for anyone famous, to review yep. The Tick, and Justin McI'm uh, sorry, McEllery tweeted, I fucking love The Tick. Missing it is missing an insightful take on how superheroes would foot into our modern world. So, like you said, there's a lot of superhero content yep. out there. You're satirizing it. Uh, does that, is that, that feels like a monumental task, actually.
5: It's big, it's big. And I, by the way, I'm very excited that I now just realize I can say fucking on this show. Oh, go nuts, buddy. Uh, fucking. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, (laughs) Uh, It it is a monumental task, but it's also, it's fun because there's sort of an infinite well. I mean, we try to... I think toe this line with the show where it's like, we're not just doing a parody. Mm. Uh, it's, it's a show with like emotional stakes mm. and characters and hopefully compelling narratives mm. and this and that, but we're always sort of pulling from different areas of things. So like season two is a lot about um, the sort of bureaucracy of being a superhero. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All these sort of shield-like agencies that we've gotten <laughs> so into in all these cinematic universes. <laughs> uh, no show has ever been bold enough to uh, investigate how much paperwork it <laughs> <laughs>
1: you like that. How much make, like you do? destruction damage that would go? But no, that's in yeah. season one, too, right? There is there is so much heart in it. Um and it seems like you do have a lot of fans. I just mentioned Judd Apatow tweeted about this show yeah. yesterday. So it's exciting to see that so many like big name people are like watching it and enjoying it. Yeah, I mean, there were, you
5: know, my my very uh, pathetic, uh, open, blatant uh, plea for verified fame modes. We were talking right before we started recording that it does feel like in this day and age there's so many shows and there's so many movies that in order to get people to watch your thing. Thing, it's like running like a, a presidential campaign <laughs> like you need to get like the official the endorsements the right people
1: saying the right things
5: right right. but it is that kind of thing where it's like there's so much out there and mm. you're no longer limited by like well this is the hour I have free on Wednesday night <laughs> because in that hour you can watch anything in the history of television <laughs> like we're not just competing against other shows that have come out in the last month no you're competing about Cheers. all of time <laughs> right somebody else can always go watch it well, I, I, hope- I will always want to go watch Cheers it. so it's like you want people who have made work that you like to tell you what other things you might like. And Judd Apatow did that yesterday. Yes. Real quick, I've yep. heard that your like number one
1: dream after The Tick is maybe to get involved with another big franchise, yep. the Fast and the Furious franchise. It's
5: not a maybe. It's it's without a doubt the number one dream. The, my <laughs> biggest career goal was to be a superhero, which I thought, let's set an unreasonable goal that will never hit because I'm 5'6 and I have arthritis in my hands. I said, it's not going to happen. <laughs> But you did it. But then I did it. So now it's like, what do I got to do? I, I got to be part of the Toretto to You got to get in the family. I got to do it. Straight to yes.
1: camera. Yep. We are just talking about how this is a little bit like politics. Right. Talk to Vin. Talk to the people. Get on the Fast and the Furious. Right.
5: Okay, Vin, first of all, thank you for watching. Uh, I want you to know that I fully recognize that you are our greatest living movie star. And I say that with total sincerity. Uh, you're one of a kind. Uh, You're you're the only person who is uh, that capable of just throwing charisma into the lens. And, uh, you know, the franchise is all about family. It's about these sort of odd people who all find uh, themselves and and find each other and find these vehicles. And I ask you, is there a corner of diversity you haven't covered yet, which is uh, American Jews without driver's licenses? (laughs) And I understand it's a car-based franchise, but I'm just saying up until this point in time, you've been a little discriminatory against people whose generalized anxiety prevents them behind the wheel of a car. And I think that adds, I mean, there's stakes there. So your character would be more of a passenger side kind of character. But how incredible would it be if in the third act, everyone else is captured and they're like, You gotta drive! Hershowitz has to drive! You don't even know
1: how to do stick
5: shift! My man, Please. listen, if I was Ben, I'd
1: sign you up right now. Griffin, thank you so much thank for you. joining me this morning. You are yes. incredible. Thank Everyone, you should be watching The Tick. It's a wonderful show, and it is streaming on Amazon Prime. Now, be sure to check it out. Up next, Saeed is sitting down with Ram- Rami Youssef from the new show, Rami on Hulu.
0: Welcome back. I'm so excited to be joined by comedian Rami Youssef, star and creator of the new show Rami on Hulu. You're going to love it. I'm so excited for everyone to watch it. Um, Hi. Hey. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing good. Right on. Um, Something you talk about on the show is the disconnect between having a good day personally um, when, you know, broader, like, everything's bad. The news is bad and everything, and it's in the context on the show of the Muslim ban. Yes. Um, Why did you want to highlight that dynamic?
6: Uh, I think it's really important to try and find like the human side to mm. the headlines. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. things feel really catastrophic and a lot of the time they are. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it feels important to kind of just show a small microcosm of yeah. a human experience within that. And so and sometimes that's not all bad, you right. know. And and of course it's something that's really upsetting mm-hmm. um but it's important to kind of try and find like a little bit of a silver lining. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 Um, I, I love that the show set in Jersey City. I, I went to Rutgers.
6: Uh which Rutgers? I went to Rutgers, Newark. You went to um, I went yeah. to Rutgers Newark too. Oh my god, what's the study there? A political Science and oh Econ, god. but I, I dropped out. But, uh-huh. but no, but so because everyone always says Rutgers, uh-huh. and you think it's like the New big Brunswick. New Brunswick uh-huh. with yeah, the, yeah. The, the sandwich trucks or whatever. <laughs> and then I'm always like uh, Newark. I like I gotta like like throw it in. No, no, Newark, Newark. My, my car got broken into a lot. Uh but I loved Rutgers Newark. I loved it. M- one of the most diverse campuses in the country. The year I went, it was the most. Yeah. It was like a yeah. Officially the most. Wow. But the Jersey thing is like, that's my favorite. Yeah. Like because it's like, it's actually harder to defend Jersey than it is to defend Muslims. Cause it's like people like because Muslims people be like, all right, there's a billion. We know you're not all bad. Okay. But Jersey, all the shore, all the mob. Like there's no, there's no little, nuance there. You gotta be rough. like, no, 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 I'm in North Jersey. Like, no, it's not. <laughs> South Jersey should be its own state. No one buys it. Everyone's like, Nah, man, just. This is my question. I mean, you you ain't lying. I, when I moved to,
0: because I lived in Newark, uh, yeah. Then I lived in Jersey City for a while. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, a Hamilton Park neighborhood, which I loved. Yeah. I was surprised. Like, I knew New Yorkers didn't like New Jersey. Yeah. I was surprised when I moved up here that people in
6: New Jersey didn't like New Yorkers. Yeah. Why don't
0: people in New Jersey like New Yorkers? What's their deal?
6: Uh, there's, What's their I think it's the whole shadow of the city thing. There's mm-hmm. this like underdog thing going on, you know? And I mean, that's kind of why I loved setting the show in uh-huh. Jersey. I mean, we, the show is like kind of nondescript Jersey. Like, mm-hmm. like you know, we see some physicalities of Jersey mm-hmm. City, but mm-hmm. I kind of wanted it to be a little vague. But okay. what I really liked was, you know, this idea that we're trying to show a group of people that hasn't been represented mm-hmm. well in Muslims, mm-hmm. but um, neither have people from New Jersey been represented quite well on TV. I mean, <laughs> you think about our depictions. I mean, we, we so have love. like we got the the Shore stuff and then we got the Sopranos Dang. and it's kind of like look we're not all violent. You Garden know? State. Garden I didn't State watch it. is a violent movie. Okay. <laughs> yeah, in my opinion, uh, very violent in a lot of the the tonal choices made. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. yeah I, I'm yeah. just I'm not going to yeah. argue with that. I'm not argue
0: with that. Um, obviously, the show is based on your life and and your experiences as you know a guy just trying to figure it out who happens to be Muslim and yeah. what that dynamic means. I also love that the show though. Uh, in looking at your family, really spends time looking at, at the mother yeah. and and the sister as characters. Why was that important to you?
6: Well, you know the show is called Rami, mm-hmm. but in order to kind of get what's going on with my character, mm-hmm. I think you need to understand the family. Mm-hmm. And so I was excited to really switch gears and we have a couple of episodes that are fully in their perspective that I'm not even mm-hmm. in uh, and I felt like that was really important and a lot of times for a first season show it's kind of like wait the show's called Rami and you're not in three episodes mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> you know you're like talking to the network about it and I'm like yeah and I, mm-hmm. I bet you the ones I'm not in are going to be the best ones too and uh, and they were really excited to do it and and it was uh, yeah it was just I think representation isn't just like one character having mm-hmm. a couple of lines in right. a scene mm-hmm. I think it's the opportunity to have moments in silence where something happens and you can see them digest mm-hmm. something and the camera's on their mm-hmm. face and it's like lingering and Absolutely. that's that's really like okay I get a character so our show doesn't represent everybody mm-hmm. but that's because we're trying to take our time right. and so like I would love to make more episodes so we can really okay. get into those and like linger with people mm-hmm. as opposed to like someone gets one line and it's like well oh cool so they got like, this character cool. they got this it's right. kind of it, like Checking sometimes boxes. TV becomes this like algebra thing where it's mm-hmm. like okay well we got this one we got this one we got this one so you know um it was really trying to just take our time. Totally, totally. Yeah.
0: Um, I, I was talking to a coworker this morning, my first name Saeed, obviously. Yeah. I'm not Muslim, I was actually yeah. a Buddhist. Um, whenever I get into an Uber, um, yeah. there's, there's like a 50-50 chance in New York um, that my driver is going to be Muslim. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's always guys asking me about my name. Where's yeah. you, what's your name? where' your name? Where's you from? Yeah, you know, yeah, and I yeah. ended up explaining it. Um, yeah. The other day, actually, a driver ended up Praying um, in the car, like during his morning. Practice. Wow! Yeah, it was very beautiful. And I was thinking about how these kind of small, intimate moments.
6: Wait, he was praying while driving. Yeah,
0: yeah. Because and he didn't say anything to me. I think he assumed I well, was. Well, that, muscle, that was sounds like, dangerous. Oh, okay. I
6: don't know. I don't. I, I'm, I know it's beautiful, <laughs> but that sounds. Like, dangerous. I, and that I pray. I, I struggle to pray five times a day. Really? That's, like, yeah. something I try to do. Okay. So I'm, like, a praying Muslim. Like, mm-hmm. it is a part of my life. Okay. Uh, that sounds this- really <laughs> dangerous, though, to pray while driving. He
0: had his eyes on the road. That's a
6: two-star drive. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not. Oh, no. uh, yeah, oh, my uh, God. It's a two-star drive. Really? Uh, yeah, i yeah, not giving. That's a two-star. I'm not uh,
0: giving him a two-star it, rating yeah, because he
6: was praying. No, he gets. It should <laughs> be a one, but because of the intense in his heart, it's a two. But that's. I just want you to be safe. Okay. Yeah, yeah.
0: well yeah. where's the where's the strangest place you've ended up doing one of your prayers
6: oh the strangest place um i i remember i remember being like at, at like i, I was in a I remember pray, praying in a closet somewhere, which was like such a... Weirdly, <laughs> such a, you know, in that
0: moment, you such, and I find I some
6: commonality. <laughs> I do remember praying in a closet and being like, this is a funny analogy. Uh, there's something about this that is... There's, there's That's something incredible. here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Incredible. For sure. But we, I mean, so many places. i prayed in really beautiful places, mm-hmm. on mountains. I mean, like one of the most, you know, amazing things about, mm-hmm. you know, being Muslim is that you can pray. You, you can, anyway. you know anywhere. We do five times a day. It could be anywhere. I mean, you don't even have to be, you, you could be Muslim and never step into a mosque your whole life. Mm. You know, that's that's really what's what's amazing. Um, you could
0: pray today while listening to Beyonce.
6: But, well, no, I would pause the Beyonce. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I definitely would like, pray and then put some Beyonce on and I then like that. that would be a fully holy day for I, sure. I mean, I get it. I'm really excited to figure out what she did because I, I saw her live at Staples Center a couple years oh, wow. ago. Mrs. Carter show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, truly a holy experience. You're yeah. like, wow, I'm watching there. a human yeah. being at the top of their abilities. Yeah, absolutely. No, incredible. she's great. Whew, I just screamed the entire time. <laughs> um,
0: well, I saw a tweet yesterday that I just really loved from Alex Jung. He's a writer at Vulture. Uh-huh. And actually, uh, Emily Nasbaum, who's the TV critic for The New Yorker, replied oh, cool. uh, to the tweet, which was neat. Um, and uh, the tweet is, comedy is really at the forefront of TV right now in terms of ideation, form, and representation. And he cites Pin 15, The Other Two, Superstore, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Rami, Special, Shrill, Fleabag, and they're all funny as hell. And oh, cool. Emily Osment was like, "I gotta look into Rami," which I was like, "Oh, that's dope." Oh, cool. You know, uh, what does it feel like to be a part of this conversation?
6: Uh, it's it's really exciting. Mm-hmm. I mean, to make a show that hopefully people watch is mm-hmm. awesome. I mean, there's like 500 shows on TV, so I'm like, mm-hmm. if anyone watches our show, it's like it's amazing. Mm-hmm. It's it's. it's um, but I'm I'm just really excited to mm-hmm. you know humanize. Arab Muslims, you know, and, and it's our, our scope is really limited, right? I mean, it's like the, the thing that I cover is an Arab Muslim family in North Jersey, Mm -hmm. you know, most Muslims in America are actually black, you know, I mean, like there's, there's so many different experiences. Um, but to even have a small slice of that be mentioned uh, with all those. I mean, Pen15 is amazing. Yeah. I mean, these are shows that I like really love. And so uh, it's its super exciting. It's That's just, cool. it really is. Yeah. I love it. Yeah.
0: Um, well, I mean, this is a huge accomplishment and I'm proud of you and happy for you. Oh, thanks. Uh, is, what
6: do you want to do next? Like what's your next goal? I would love to just make more of the show. Mm-hmm. I mean, that—that's what I'm more like. Really, like I said, there's mm-hmm. all these characters and storylines right, that we haven't even scratched the mm-hmm. surface of, and so to be able to really dive into that would be amazing. Okay. Yeah, that's that's the goal. I love it. I see. I'm yeah. so excited for this. One. Oh, thank you, so man. Good. All right. Thank well, you, man.
0: Robbie, thanks for coming and hanging. Dude, be, so good. seriously,
6: be careful in those Ubers. Like, <laughs> that's—it's just not. <laughs> Like, I, cause I know we What would we're, I write as an explanation? I know we're all celebrating each other for like our faith and stuff, but to be praying in the middle of traffic is like, I don't think God wants it. I think God will be like, please pull over, like, wait till Saeed's dropped off. Okay, um, well, but yeah. All right. I mean, accountability. I get it. Accountability. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Guys, I'm Robbie premieres on Hulu <laughs> this Friday. I'm so excited for it to come out. I think you guys are too. Up next, Stephanie's gonna talk about the science behind meat alternatives. Oh, wow. That doesn't look like anything
6: to me. I, That's definitely science. Yeah.
7: yeah. <laughs> Here's a tweet from Olga Kazan, staff writer at The Atlantic. I went to San Francisco and ate a $100 chicken nugget. Olga joins me now to talk about that chicken, which she wrote about in her piece, The Coming Obsolescence of Animal Meat. Olga, thank you so much for coming on. I am so interested in this topic.
8: Of course. Yeah, thanks for having me.
7: So what is the difference between meat grown in a lab, like what you tried in the piece and meat alternatives like the Impossible Burger that we have seen in a lot of restaurants recently?
8: Yeah. So the Impossible Burger um, and and related things, I think Beyond is another one, Um, are made from plants. They don't have any kind of animal um, protein in them or any kind of animal products. Um, but the type of meat that, um, the piece is about is actually meat. Um, it is technically chicken, um, but it was never alive. It was, um, it was grown in a bioreactor, which is like a big tank. Um, so it was grown entirely in a laboratory instead of like being a chicken that you would think of do you think of chicken.
7: <laughs> so it's essentially, it is chicken, but it's chicken that never lived. It was completely grown in, like you said, a laboratory. So there's no actual harm to a living animal. And that sounds like it's going to have a huge impact on factory farming if it became popular. Do you think so?
8: It would have an impact, but so what these um, companies argue, and of course the, the um, you know, there's a lot of uh, opposition to this um, in some qu- quarters, but what these companies argue is that, look, you know, the chicken um, factories or, you know, factory farms could just start uh, having a bunch of bioreactors, a bunch of tanks kind of lined up all in a row inside their barns instead of having a bunch of chickens in cages. Cause like we're really just raising these chickens to kill them anyway. So this way we could just be having a lot of these bioreactors that are growing the chicken meat without ever having live chickens involved. So they think the farms could be kind of like repurposed.
7: It sounds so high sci like science fiction almost, but I really related to the part in your piece where you said You enjoy eating chicken and having it in your salad, but you're not necessarily super comfortable or you don't love the fact that it was a living thing. And I totally relate to that. I enjoy eating meat protein, but I don't love the fact that animals are harmed. So I feel like people like us would really like this type of technology, but there are other people who probably would not. What do you think are the hurdles to bringing this type of meat to consumers?
8: Yeah. Well, so a major hurdle is just like how expensive it is right now. So it was, it was a hundred dollars was my, um, chicken nugget that I, that I ate. Um, so they've definitely got to bring the price down to like, you know, whatever, a couple pennies that a chicken nugget actually costs. Um, And that is going to involve a lot of investment and a lot of money and um, a lot more equipment and and things like that Um, Then there's like a lot of questions about how to even regulate this Like, you know, we're even having trouble describing it uh, on this show and regulators are kind of facing the same issue It's like, well, do we inspect this like we would a slaughterhouse? You know, do we inspect this like we would a chemical laboratory? Do we you know how do we make sure that this stuff is safe and that everyone is you know, um, comfortable with what's coming out of these labs. Um, and I also think that once, you know, it gets to consumers, there's going to be an educational component, because people are, you know, if they do eat meat, they're accustomed to the fact that it comes from a living animal. And to, you know, kind of help people become okay with the fact that it's, it never was alive. And it's, you're just eating something that was like, basically grown in like this soup of like, vitamins and amino acids, and a couple of cells is like, you know, kind of a big logical leap to make for some people
7: are the CEOs of this company. I know you spoke to a couple of people in this industry. Are they hopeful that say with the big time meat eaters that they could change their minds and make it. So this becomes a very accepted thing. Yeah, well, it's
8: interesting. So some of these CEOs are vegan and so they don't actually eat, um, animal products at all, but they do eat their own company's product because they're not vegan for reasons of not liking meat. They're vegan because they don't like the way meat is produced in the U S today. And they don't like the kind of slaughter process and, and all of that. Um, so it is a possibility to, first of all, get some people who don't eat meat into eating meat. Um, but also I think just once this becomes more, um, widespread, people might become more comfortable with it. Like I think they, they gave the example of like, if you see a burger patty, that's, you know, conventionally was raised and slaughtered. And then you see a burger patty that was grown in a lab and it looks so much better and it's so much cheaper and it looks so much more delicious. You know, why not get the one that was grown in a lab if you're sure that it's safe, which is like, again, one of the hurdles, but um, yeah, so I think they're hopeful that people will come around.
7: That line in your piece where you said, you know, a big time carnivore going to the store and they see a piece of meat that was grown in a lab that's $2 less and then picking that meat. I was like, of course, that would totally work. You just got to make it cheaper. But obviously that's a little bit hard at this point. Okay. So here's the big question that I'm sure everyone is thinking right now. You tried it. What does it taste like? Does it taste like chicken?
8: Yeah, actually. So it does taste like chicken. Like, I mean, you know, so it's a chicken nugget. So of course it's going to be a little bit masked by the fact that it's, you know, got breadcrumbs and it's been fried and, you know, it has like seasonings um, inside the the chicken nugget, but it, it tastes like chicken. It tastes exactly like a chicken nugget that you would have, you know, Um, in a like restaurant, like a kid's, you know, meal or something like that. Um, So it definitely passes the like initial taste test. Um, But like I said, I mean, you know, like it just to have like a meal of those would be like $1,000. So we're definitely not there yet.
7: (laughs) I mean, I kind of think if you fry anything, it would taste good. Right. Know. That's the other thing. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, well, the fact that it's fried is like really giving you a leg up. <laughs> yeah. The grilled chicken might be a little more. They might need a little more technology for that. Well, Olga, thank you so much. Yeah. Totally. Thanks for having me. Up next, Isaac and Saeed are reading a few more of your tweets.
1: <laughs> Welcome back. Uh, what do you think, man? Are you got to eat some? No. No. Next I think time. it's going to become a big thing. You just need to change it and not tell me. I That's you, you'll be like, "Ooh, what is this? It's delicious." Perfectly. Just, and you just don't want to know. I just I can't. All right. I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't. <laughs> That's all you gotta say,
0: man. Well, I, I promise you. I won't make you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, uh, Princess Slayer tweeted this about your interview with Griffin Newman, which was so funny. I yeah, can barely hold it together in the control room as ever. Um, the interview was so charming, and now I want to watch the show. Absolutely. I love it. I, I haven't watched the new season, mm-hmm. um, but it's great. It's fu- And also, like Griffin is the heart of the show.
1: It yeah, focuses on him. He's the, it's so called like The tick, him. but he's the main yeah. part of it. Mm-hmm. And it also, it covers, like you were saying, it's very funny, but it's very full of heart. Trauma. There's a lot of talk about trauma and and Mental illness—it's really fascinating. It's so it's great. It, it's a great show. I also loved how he sold it. Instead of being like, "Here's a rundown of how this show is," <laughs> he's just like, "Now a boat falls in love with me, and and you know, I might." And it's like, and if you like that, then you're gonna is like this so show. Funny.
0: Can- There's a scene where the boat's like. You want to take a shower?
1: <laughs> <She's> like, <laughs> uh, I. <laughs> uh, uh, we asked, what do you want to be the Beyonce of? Because don't forget, it is homecoming day. And you said, I want to be the Beyonce. I'm sorry, Jen said, I want to be the Beyonce of rom com screenplays. Ooh, you'd be rolling in the money. Ooh, absolutely. The there, dream like that, that dream, write those scripts.
0: <laughs> I like that. Uh, Maria tweeted, I want to be the Beyonce of my own health. My treatment finally started yesterday. And and Maria, I, I wish you the best. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad your
1: treatment has started. And this is just a beautiful idea. Be the Beyonce of your own health. Absolutely. Prayers up and definitely, and listen to that album every step of yeah, the way. Yeah, absolutely. Amen. Well, thank you, of course, to our guest, Bolu Babalola. What a conversation with her. Our I, I could just listen. We could have talked to her for the whole hour. We really could. God, she's so good really talking good. about good. Beyonce. Kelly Wilde, Tarini Party, Stephanie McNeil, Olga Kazan, Griffin Newman, and Rami Yusuf. He was hilarious. He's when he said New that was a funny. We had a lot of funny guys on the show today. He's very funny.
0: I'm sorry. Uh, we will be back here tomorrow. <laughs> I'm just thinking about Robbie, you said cracking me up. We'll be back here tomorrow at 10 a.m. Have a great rest of your day. Watch Homecoming. Listen to Homecoming. Go home. <laughs> <laughs> There's a pun I can make there. It's, you know it. <laughs>